Well, hello everyone and welcome once again to our Wednesday night uh, Bible study. We're making our way through the book of Romans and we've come to uh, verses 16 and 17 of the first chapter. And the title of our lesson this evening is The Righteousness of God. So let's read these two verses. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. For as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, last week we saw that the uh, gospel is the power of God for salvation. But we didn't really dig into that word salvation uh, very far. So let's talk a little bit about that. What, what does that mean, salvation? Well, the Greek word is soterion which literally means to be rescued or to be delivered or to be brought out of, of danger. So what Paul is saying here is that the gospel is the power that accomplishes our rescue. Or another way to put it, we need to be rescued and the gospel is the thing that rescues us. Now, that begs a question. What do we need to be rescued from? Now, if I went up to the, the, the local grocery store and I just went in and asked some people, uh, the, the proverbial man on the street, you know, what do we need to be rescued from? Well, if you had some church-going people, many of them might say things like, well, sin or guilt or death or hell. Uh, probably people who aren't quite as uh, churchy, so to speak, they may say things like, well, I need to be rescued from bad relationships or bad habits or, or just a general mess that I've made of my life. Now, let me say, all of those are true to a certain extent. But the Bible tells us that the ultimate answer of what we need to be rescued from is this. Romans 2.5 Because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. You see, as human beings, we just have this monstrously huge problem. And that is, God is holy and we are not. By the time we get to chapter 3, uh, Paul will kind of summarize it this way. We've all sinned, and we fall short of the, of the glory or the, the standard that God has, has set. Now, here's the thing. We all know that we've done wrong. Uh, we get that, right? You, you hear people say it all the time. Well, nobody's perfect, and that's exactly right. But most people are walking, people that believe in God, most people that believe in God are walking around with this idea that God judges on a scale. That, uh, you know, yeah, I've done some bad, but mostly I'm a good person. And that one day God's going to put us on a scale and he's going to weigh all the good we've done against all the bad we've done and voila, he's going to let me into heaven because my good outweighs the bad. Now here's the problem with that. That is not at all how God judges. God doesn't judge on a good-bad scale. James 2.10 says this, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one thing, is guilty of breaking all of it. Do you see the predicament that you and I are in? If you commit one sin, just one, then you're guilty before God. You are, you are morally stained. You have fallen short of the standard that He set, and you have no way to clean your, yourself up. In fact, even if you spent the rest of your life doing good, if you spent the rest of your life and you never committed another sin, it would make no difference whatsoever. You would still stand guilty before a holy and righteous God and you would be under His wrath. That is a huge predicament for you and I. So, 
Here's the question. How does the gospel rescue us? Well, the answer is found in verse 17. Now listen to this verse. Because in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Now let me say, that is a huge, huge verse and a huge statement. In fact, Paul's going to spend pretty much the rest of the book explaining what he just said right here. This is, this is where it all starts, right here in this verse. The gospel is the power of salvation because in it, it reveals the righteousness of, of God. Now, I want to stop for just a minute. What I just taught you in those few minutes that we've had is not very popular today. In fact, not only will you not hear many sermons preached from the uh, uh, pulpits of America on the wrath of God, some people are even going out of their way to preach against it. In, in 2001, a pastor by the name of Rob Bell uh, wrote a book called Love Wins. He was a, a pastor of a megachurch up in uh, Michigan called Mars Hill Church. And the premise of the book Love Wins was that in the end, everybody gets saved that God just loves everybody and 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 the end he just can't really send anybody to hell because he just loves us so much and and uh, that's the premise of the book. Well in this book he made this statement. He said we are told that God has to punish sinners because God is holy. But Jesus has paid the price for our sin so we can have eternal life. Now this is his words. However true or untrue that is technically or theologically what it can do is subtly teach people that Jesus rescues us from God. Now he said this, let me be very clear. We do not need to be rescued from God. God is the one who rescues us from death, from sin, from destruction. God is the rescuer. Well, let me be very clear. The Bible doesn't teach that at all. Romans 5, 9 says this, we shall be saved by him, talking about Jesus, from the wrath of God. I'm not sure, to be honest, how you can make it any clearer than that. To put, to put it bluntly, Jesus rescues us from God's wrath. Or, put it another way, God made a way to rescue us from himself. That's exactly what the Bible teaches. Now, here's the thing. Romans 1.17 or even Romans 1.18, for the wrath of God is revealed against all unrighteousness. If you go to a ball game and people are holding up scriptures, nobody holds up verses about the wrath of God. We always hold up verses like John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Now here's the thing. There's been a huge culture change uh, over the past uh, few decades with, with regards to the attributes, the characteristics of God. You see, God has certain attributes and characteristics. He's got his love, he's got justice, he's got mercy, faithfulness, goodness, kindness, patience. The list goes on and on. But what we've done is we've elevated one of those characteristics, his love, above all the others. That's exactly what we've done. It's all about love, 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 love. We don't talk about his justice. We don't talk about... Uh, any of those kind of things. We've elevated that one characteristic. But you see, the love of God cannot supersede his other characteristics. They have to work in, in tandem with one another. His love has to uphold his mercy. His love has to uphold his, his justice. See, there's this great misconception in our culture that God isn't concerned to protect his own integrity. That somehow God is this wishy-washy father who... 
uh, one day is just going to say, you know what, all that stuff I said in the Bible, I didn't really mean it. All that stuff about sending my son to die, you know what, just forget all that. I, I, I didn't really mean all that. All that stuff I said in the Bible, I just, I, just, I take all that back. See, the, the world wants to pin all its hopes on this, that somehow the love of God is just going to supersede everything else. And so you hear people say things like, well, God just loves me the way I am. I don't need to change. He made me this way. A loving God wouldn't send me to, to hell. See, but the Bible says that God is righteous. He is righteous. So what does it mean by that? What, what exactly is that? Well, in the Bible, the words just and the words righteous are basically identical in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Sometimes you'll see a translation use righteous, and other times it'll use just, and, and, and that's perfectly fine. I'll give you an example. Uh, in Nehemiah 9.8, it says, For you are righteous. It's the Hebrew word Sadiq. In, in Nehemiah 9.33, it says, You are just. It's the same Hebrew word. So when we say that God is just or God is righteous, what we are saying is that God always does what is right. He does it consistently and he does it without partiality, and he does it without prejudice. Psalms 9.8 says, He will judge the world in righteousness. He will execute judgment for the peoples with equity. See, God is a judge whose righteousness demands and requires that all sin must be dealt with in a just manner. Now, we've got a saying that sometimes we say, I'm caught between a rock and a hard place. Now, when I say that, you understand what I mean, right? That, that I'm in a challenging situation. I'm in between two choices, and I can't choose which one to do. Well, let me say, of course, God is never stuck between a rock and a hard place. But let's think about it. Give me a little license here, and let's think about it from a human perspective. You see, God loves us. He doesn't want to condemn us. But he can't just sweep our sin under the rug and pretend it doesn't exist. Because if he did that, he wouldn't be righteous. He wouldn't be, he wouldn't be just. On the other hand, in order to show himself righteous, he has to deal with our sin. And by the way, Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. Well, here's the thing. That wouldn't be very loving, would it? So the question is, how does God do both? How does God show himself loving? and at the exact same time show himself righteous. Let me tell you, how he does that is what the gospel is all about. That's exactly why Jesus had to die. It was the only way that God could show himself loving, but still show himself righteous. You see, Jesus came to this earth and he lived a, a sinless and perfect, righteous life. He did that for you and I because we could never in any way, shape, or form ever do it for ourselves. He then and he suffered and he died on a cross offering himself as the perfect Lamb of God. His death was the payment for your sin and for mine. 1 Peter 2.24 He himself bore our sins on his body on that tree. And then he was buried and he rose again on the third day. He ascended into heaven and he's coming back to judge the living and the dead. And at the end of my life I'm going to stand before a just and holy God and I will be judged. I'll be judged one of two ways, either on the basis of my own righteousness, which I absolutely do not have, or I'll be judged on the perfect righteousness of another. So let's summarize real quick. God is righteous, and He demands righteousness from us, 
but we don't have it to give. Therefore, we are condemned, we are uh, perishing, we are guilty, we are alienated from God, we are without hope in this world. In fact, the only hope for us is that God somehow would Himself give us the righteousness that He demands. But you see, that's exactly what the gospel says. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes because it tells us that what we have to have, and by the way, what we're powerless to provide, God offers us freely, namely, His own righteousness. In other words, He grants the righteousness to us that He demands from us. Now, here's the thing. What do we have to do? Well, let's go back and read Romans, the verses again, verses 16 and 17. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. You see, what we have to do is put our faith in Christ and what he did for us. And if we do, God counts us as righteousness. In other words, he credits us with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I, I want to give you a test. I don't normally do this, but I want you to test yourself, if you will. I want you to test your view of the cross. I want you to think for a minute about that old rugged cross. When you think about the cross, where does the righteousness of God come into your thinking? Is it something that you just skip over and you say, you know what, I don't really understand all that righteousness stuff. I just know God loves me and God's going to forgive me. But let me tell you, this is crucially important to understanding the cross. You should know the meaning of this because it is an essential part of the gospel. You see, on Calvary, God was making a way of salvation so that you and I might be forgiven. But he had to do it in a way that left his character unviolated. And once you begin to see that, once you begin to understand that, you're going to understand that this gospel message is the most beautiful, the most tremendous, the most staggering thing that this universe has ever produced in all of its history. See, you cannot understand the cross. You can't see the beauty of the cross until you view it in light of the righteousness of God. You see, in the, in the cross, God was saying, I'm eternally just and I eternally love you. He's doing both of those things. So remember, the gospel is the power of God to save believers. Why? Because every day it reminds us, it reminds us that my standing with God is not based on my own righteousness. It's based on the righteousness of Christ freely given to me because I will only believe. And, and the confidence that I have that God is one day going to save me from his own wrath. Again, it's not based on, on my works. I Listen, I go up and down like anybody else. I got good days and bad days. My acceptance with him is based on the gift of his own righteousness, not mine. You see, that is the gospel. That is the good news of the righteousness of God. Let's pray. Father, what a wonderful, wonderful lesson this is. Not because I've taught it, because it focuses on the, one of the greatest subjects in the world, and that is your righteousness. 
God, I pray that somehow, some way, in this short lesson, that people will understand your righteousness in a way maybe they never have before. And in understanding that, they will see the cross in a new way, like, like somebody shined a light on it in a new way. And, it, and the message will just be more glorious and more beautiful than it ever has before in their life. And that's why Paul taught this. He wants us as believers to understand and appreciate what you did through your son Jesus on Calvary's cross. Lord, I ask that and I pray for that and I'll give your son credit for that. In Jesus' name, amen.